Okay, Mark chapter number 9, if you will. Mark chapter number 9. And uh, we're going to, uh, last time we, we've, we have finished the chapter, but before moving on into chapter 10, uh, I wanted to look at a couple items here. Uh, last time we looked at that issue in verse 43 and following about the issue of hell fire and the issue of Gehenna and that issue of eternal judgment. And uh, really, uh, eternal judgment is a uh, dispensational issue. And if you don't handle it dispensationally, you end up in false doctrine. You end up in doctrines of devils, as uh, Paul calls it. So I want to go, I want to introduce tonight, and then over the next couple weeks, talk about the issue here in verse 47. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, again, we've already looked at that issue of hell and hell fire and so forth, but I want to look at that issue of the kingdom of God because that phrase causes a lot of, of uh, issues. If you look back up at verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 47, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of heaven of God. So Mark says life, then he says life, and then he says kingdom of God. So obviously the Lord Jesus Christ is defining life as the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God as life. So what happened, and, and really the question is, is why does he do this? And that's what we're going to get into over the next couple weeks. This passage gets used as a key passage by those that say that the kingdom of God is not a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, promised kingdom for the nation of Israel here on the earth. Rather, it is the spiritual rule of God in the hearts of man. Okay? So, this, that's why we're kind of, I want to look at this, because this passage, they, they, they get into it, <coughs> and it is because he says, life, life, and then kingdom of God. Okay? So, they're, what they're doing is they're saying that the kingdom of God is not a literal, physical visible, earthly, millennial introduction, time king, and, it, and that it really has nothing to do with Israel. It has nothing to do with any of the prophecies and the prophets, but rather it is simply the rule of God in the hearts of people. And they use this passage, and they use it as a primary passage to, to say that. So it's, and they, and again, See, they, they, they say it. I've had them use it on me. See, it says life, life, kingdom of God. 
So it's God ruling in the hearts of men. It's not a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom with Israel at all. It has nothing to do with that, all of that. And then so they, it's not national, it's individual. And it, so it has nothing to do with Israel, but it has, it's all about Jesus. And that's how they do it. They spiritualize it. Come over to Luke 17. Luke 17. Here's another of their favorite passages. Luke 17. And again, as soon as you read it, you'll see how they use it. Luke 17, verse 20 and 21. Verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them. So he's talking to the Pharisees. And said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So see, it's not a physical thing. It's, a, it's, God, it's the rule of, guard, of God in the hearts of people. Okay? All right? Now, hold on to that passage and come over to Romans 14. Because then we go to Romans 14. And again, these are the primary passages that they, they use. By the way, Romans 14 is written by who? The Apostle Paul. And yet, here they go. They go right into it, verse 17, Romans 14, 17. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him, I'm sorry, I read the wrong verse, verse 17. I read verse 14 for you. Okay, it's a good verse. But verse 17 is better, okay? For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So see, it's not physical. It's, it's not physically eating some. It's, it's a spiritual issue. It's nothing to do here. We're going to do this. No, it's a, it's a spiritual life and the reign of God in the hearts of. And here they say the believer because that's who they have to identify in the passage. So the idea that the kingdom is not a literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom, it's just the reign of God in the hearts of men. It's all about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's never about Israel. It's never about the nation. It's always about the individual. It's simply bad doctrine, false doctrine. Okay? All right, we're done. Let's go home. <laughs> okay? Well, you, we got to answer these verses. So the verses. Where, by the way, where that idea comes from is it comes from being anti-dispensational. And this, they spiritualize these verses. Obviously, Romans 14 is about the weaker brother. So the eating and so forth has to do with actual eating. But they spiritualize it. But yet, the, these verses are clear that the kingdom of God is a spiritual issue because that's what they're talking about. It's within you. It's life. It's life. So, yes, that is true, that it is a spiritual issue. Now, the other side of the argument is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, by the way, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God are interchangeable. Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because it's a dispensational doctrinal issue in Matthew. Mark, Luke, and John call it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. They interchange it all the way through. So the other 
So one side says the kingdom is the reign of God in the hearts of man. It's not physical. It's only spiritual. So, but then the other side of the coin is really it's a future earthly kingdom. It is literal, physical, visible, and earthly kingdom that will materialize in the future, in the millennial. Now, that's a better thing, but it's lacking some key components in that. Now, we would say it's what? It's future, but it's also, there's, there's more to it there because, now go back to Mark 9, just, we're going we're gonna to bounce between Mark, Luke, and Romans, so you might as well just stick something in there because the kingdom, if you say that it's a future earthly kingdom, little physical, visible earthly kingdom, and it will materialize in the future in the, in, uh, with the millennial, you're still missing some things, and we'll see that as we go, because the kingdom is going to be a literal, physical, visible, earthly David. You're going to get sick of me saying that, but that's what it is. But there's also a spiritual component of it. And when we, when we hear people say, and grace people say it, it's in the future, and they focus in on the physical, they miss the spiritual issue. And that's what the Lord's getting at here in Mark 9, verse 43, Mark, and verse 47 and 45, about the issue of life, life, and kingdom. There is a spiritual component to this, but there's also a physical component. Okay, come over to John 3. That's why the Nicodemus here in John 3, the Lord is going to say what he says. Now, if you think about this issue the way we think about in the dispensation of grace, you're going you're gonna to wind up in false doctrine. Okay, you can't think. You've got to take it as the verses come. You have to take it as they come to you. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, talking to Nicodemus, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, okay? He's a master in Israel, verily, verily. By the way, whenever the Lord says verily, verily, pay attention. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot, notice, see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot, what? Enter into the kingdom of God. Now, in Mark 9, go, hold on to that. Go back there to Mark 9, verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off, for it is better for thee to enter into life. Verse 45. Foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter, halt. See that issue of enter? Verse 47. Pluck it out, it's better for thee to enter. And then in John 3, what does he say? You can't see it, and unless you're born again, you can't enter. We have two aspects. One, we got to see it. Two, we're going to enter it. Those are two different things. You've got a physical aspect. Physically entering into the kingdom, okay? But then you've got to see it, you've got to understand it, 
And that's going to take a spiritual issue. By the way, Mark 9, you can't enter it, but you can't enter into what? Life. That's, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so we're going to get there. That's the issue of resurrection life. So when you, when you get into this, now, the greatest verse in all of this is Matthew 6.33. Go to Matthew 6.33. Okay? So this verse, the guys who say it's not, it's just the Spirit of God ruling, this verse kills it. Matthew 6 does. Okay? It helps to understand the two aspects about the kingdom of God. And again, in Matthew, he's going to call it the kingdom of heaven. Those are interchangeable terms here. And they're, they're used back and forth. Matthew will say kingdom of heaven, then he'll say kingdom of God, then he'll, Mark will say kingdom of God, kingdom of God. So you've got these two things here. And again, you have, to be, you have to catch them. By the way, Matthew is a dispensational book, doctrinally. Yes, it's the portrait of the Lord is the king, but they're moving from the prophets were until who? John. And then John now, everybody's pressing into the kingdom. Because what does John say? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And Matthew 3 says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's a dispensational tone to that. And when we studied Matthew, I tried to over and over kind of emphasize that issue of the dispensational movement within Israel's program. He's now moving. Matthew 6.33. Actually, well, let's see. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. See how he says kingdom of God? He's been using kingdom of heaven. Now it's kingdom of God. So those are interchangeable. And his what? Okay, so what are we seeking first? We're seeking first the, the spiritual issue. Then all these things will be added. See that? The things, go back up to verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your own body what ye shall put on. It is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air. So you've got the fowls, how the Father feeds them. Verse 28, you've got the lilies. Verse 29, you've got the glory there. And also verse, verse uh, 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. What things? The physical, but where do we go first? We have to have the spiritual to gain the physical. I'm going to say we, the nation of Israel. The physical blessings of the Abrahamic covenant come as a result of the spiritual connection that they have with the things of God, what God's doing. So they they are to, they're going to enter into the physical thing. To get into the physical, to walk into the kingdom, kingdom, they have to have the spiritual capacity to do it. 
to be okay to do it. So the spiritual issue is there. So in both camps that kind of get developed, now go back to Luke 17. In both camps that develop their idea and they make their little statements and so forth, one is missing the physical component completely. The other one's got everything there, but they're missing the spiritual component. And I say that because when you start talking, listening to what people say about this, and I'm talking about grace, God, grace preachers, grace people who are well-meaning. They're nothing, but they're, they're missing a component. Now, the other group that the spirit that is only in the, the rule of God in the hearts of men, that's just false. That's just bad doctrine. So when you look at this, now look at Luke 17. So we're going to look at these verses here, kind of so we get our heads wrapped around this, and then next week we'll look into some other things. Notice what they'll say, verse 20. First of all, who's he talking to? The Pharisees. Are they believers or are they lost people? They're lost. They're uncircumcised in hearts and ears. They're the apostates. Okay? But what is he telling them? The kingdom of God cometh not with what? With observation. Okay? So if, if it's coming not with observation, what does that mean? Can't see it. Right? Well, come over. Hold on to there. Come over to chapter 21 of Luke. You want to, I mean, <laughs> I had a gentleman a couple years ago when this kind of came up to me personally. I, I've always known about these verses, but when it became a, an issue to deal with, yeah, an argument, he didn't have an answer for this that I'm showing you here. 20 says, no observation, but look at 21.31, 21.31. So likewise, ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Wait, so which is it? Is it without observation, or do you see it? Well, both verses say what they say, and they're, they're true, and they're accurate. See? Look, down at, look back up at verse 28, Luke 21, 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What re, what's their redemption? The kingdom. The returning of the Messiah. Here he comes, setting up that kingdom. So which is it? Obviously, we're talking about two different aspects of the kingdom. One you can't see. And one you do see. See how you got to, so really it's both, but we've got a can't see it and we can see it. So you've got two, both components there. And again, you have to be a dispensationalist to look at that. And by the way, when I keep saying that, I'm talking about a timeline. I'm not going to throw the chart up because it messes the camera and Ricky's not here to adjust the camera. When you talk about dispensationalism, and we'll do this next week when we look at Daniel 2. You start here, and you go out here, and you, put, you drop in things on the timeline. That's what a dispensational Bible study does. That's all that it does. And, and that's what you're doing. And what the Lord's doing here is, hey, guys, Pharisees, there's more than one aspect to the kingdom of God. There's an aspect of no observation. You can't see it because it's spiritual. And then there's the aspect of you can see it because it's also 
physical. You catch that? I'm going to say it another 10 times in the half hour. Here we got, okay? So go back to Luke 17. And I dr driving this home, one, we got folks on the Internet, and I'm glad they're there. And you guys here, but you, when we get going here in Mark, there's going to, and really in our study in Matthew and in our study in Luke and in John, the Lord has made statements, and he's making them based on an understanding of this. Now, the disciples don't quite catch on. It's going to take Luke 24 to get there, to get them into Acts. But when they're in Acts, you know what they understand? They understand that. We'll see that here in a little bit. Look at Luke 17 and verse 21. Watch the explanation. So coming out of 20, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold... The kingdom of God is within you. So the explanation of not being able to see it is, is what? The kingdom is inside of you. It's within you. you can't, it can't be seen. See? Now, the, what the, the folks that say that the kingdom is a spiritual thing and it resides in the hearts of men and so forth, what they look at is they say, well, wait a minute. The Pharisees, you'd say, are lost so how can they be there? How can they be, how can the kingdom be within them? So you know what they do? They go to Schofield. And you know what old Schofield does? He's got a note here, about a paragraph or, and a page long. And he gets in there, and he's got a little note here that says, the Greek, in your King James Bible, the Greek word, but in your King James Bible, where it says, is within you, is wrong, it should say, in the midst of you. Now, and then he gives, it could not be said of self-righteous, Christ rejecting Pharisees. See, so they try to use a, well, you got a mistake in your Bible to get around the issue here. You see, they, <laughs> instead of just, let's study this out and figure this out, what do they do? They run for cover and they use your Bible's not right it's a wrong translation so how can he say by, by the way when Luke 19 the parable of the nobleman he goes off he receives the kingdom and he comes back so the kingdom isn't there in Luke 17 where is it it's a future event so they say, well, it's there in the midst of them because Christ is with them. See how Christ is, this, is all about Jesus now. So now it's the kingdom is not there in the earthly ministry of Christ. It's a future event. Yeah, but he's there and he's, he embodies the kingdom. And he's manifesting the kingdom. Well, yes and no. Look at Luke 8, 1. You're looking at me funny. I'd look at me funny, too. Look at, eight, look, look, look at Luke 8, 1. It's not, it's, they say it's there with him, but it's not there with him. 
What is he doing? He is manifesting the kingdom. Look at what he's doing. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. What's he out there doing? He's out there doing miracles, and every miracle, come over to chapter 11, that he does validates the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. But it doesn't mean it's there in the moment. Okay? They are a foretaste, the miracles, the casting out the, de- the unclean spirits and the healing of the sick, the disease, is a foretaste of that power that's going to be in the kingdom, the world to come out there. But it's not there yet. Look at Luke 11, verse 20. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you you see what what the kingdom is like guys i'm out here casting it out that's a foretaste of what's coming it's not here yet the kingdom comes when at his second coming so don't use the schofield note all right because schofield when he struggled with stuff he liked to change the word don't do that. So go back to Luke 17, 22. When he talks about here that it is within you, what he's doing to the Pharisees, because that's who he's talking to, is he's looking at them and saying, guys, the kingdom of God starts in your heart, and your heart isn't right. You, have, you don't have a heart for the things of God. Yet that's where, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where the kingdom starts. It starts in your heart. It doesn't start in the physical. It starts up here inside of you. And if you get that right, then the physical will come. You follow? Okay? That's why Matthew 6.33 is so critical. Because there... The first thing they're to do is to seek his righteousness. There's a volition, there's a volitional requirement for their faith to trust God's word to them. The Pharisees, that's who we're talking about. And it starts in their heart. It has nothing to do with them gonna go in. They're un, they don't believe, they care, they're gonna kill him. There, but he's, he's rebuking the Pharisees is what he's doing. He's rebuking them for their rejecting of him, but more importantly, rejecting the word of God to them. So the kingdom of God has a, a spiritual, a righteous, a moral foundation that comes only through faith in God's word to them. And that word is the Abrahamic covenant. It's the Davidic covenant, the Palestinian covenant. It's those covenant relationships, and their faith is to rest in that. When their faith rests up here, okay, then the physical takes place, is done. Now, come to Romans 14. So don't use Luke 17. 
because it's not anything to do, and by the way, don't use Romans 14 either, but I'll show you why here, okay? (laughs) All right? You got Romans 14. So you've got Paul, and again, they, same thing. It's a ruling in the hearts of men. And it's like, wait a second. No, it's not. Because what they do with Romans 14 is they make it, 14, 17, an absolute statement. And it's not an absolute statement about the kingdom. Because look at what it says. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You see that thing of is not meat and drink? Well, come over to Luke. Hold on to there. Come on back over to Luke 22. Luke 22. Luke 22. And look, if you will, at verse 20. Oh, 28. We'll start there. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint, so who is that? That's the little flock, okay? The believing remnant. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. Well, what does he say in Luke 12? If you're not little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're going to get it. Now watch verse 30. That ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, wait a minute. What did the Lord just say? He's in the upper room, by the way, with the 11 apostles. Judas has gone off to do his betraying. And what, is he, what did he just tell these guys? You're going to eat and drink with me in the kingdom. Well, wait a minute. Romans 14 says there's no eating and drinking, so it's just spiritual. He just made it physical too, didn't he? He just said, you're going to eat and drink with me. Now, if that's not enough, come back to chapter 14 of Luke. 14, 15. Luke 14, 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Obviously, what are they going to do? They're going to eat and drink. We're going to eat and drink. So Romans 14, 17 is not an absolute statement. In in Romans 14, the context is the weaker brother. And the issue of eating is the illustration that Paul uses. And when we get over there in our Sunday, in our 930 meeting, we're going to spend a lot of time here. But it's the issue of eating things that cause a stumbling block. It has nothing to do with going into the kingdom. How do they get into the kingdom? Spiritual first. Then they're going to eat and drink. The physical is carried out. So the the issue here of, well, it's just in the hearts of men, the rule of God in the hearts of men... No, we've got these two aspects. The physical is is a manifestation of seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's the life from which the physical is going to come from. You follow that? 
We've got life, 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 kingdom. Well, you've got to have this life to get to the physical. You don't get the physical just because they're physical. That's what being born again is all about. Now, come back to Mark 9, now that I've completely confused you. If you'll just remember that the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, has two aspects to it. The spiritual side, and then, which is a, that, vol, that volitionarial response by faith to the word of God to them, leads them into the physical side. The two components. Now, in Mark 9, the kingdom of God and the issue of life, and I already wrote resurrection life up there, so I kind of gave it away, are connected. And come back with me to Matthew 19. Let me just go there. Matthew 19. And that's the issue here. Why, he says, Mark 9, life, life, and then kingdom. Look at Matthew 19. Look at verse 27. Matthew 19, 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now, Peter asked a great question. This is not a question of ego. This is not a question of wanting something where others didn't. It's a legitimate question because they have already been told, cast away all that old life and come and follow me. Lay down that mess, pick up the cross of rejection, and follow me. And they've done it, so okay, what's the benefit? There's a reward here. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, now watch, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. So when you guys, you guys that have followed me, When the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits in the throne of his glory, so that is a future event, what do they get? Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You see that issue of regeneration? Regeneration, that's an issue of giving life. We're talking about resurrection life. In the regeneration. Jesus Christ, right here, he says, one, the kingdom is future. It's not in their midst. It's not there right there. It's a future event. And in that future event of the kingdom, he's going to give life, regeneration life. And when I do that, guys, I'm going to set you up as my government over the nation of Israel, who then is then going to rule over the Gentiles. So there's a process here. They're not ruling over anyone yet, but out here in the future, we're going to have some things to do. But when does it come? In the regeneration. So the idea here of it simply... The rule of God in the hearts of man is inadequate to to be nice, but to be more blunt, it's false doctrine. Okay? So, 
by the way, a kingdom, the kingdom, a kingdom is the rule of God over his what? His creation. Okay? But there's more to it than just that simple little... Because the question is, is how does he execute that government, kingdom, over his creation? And that's where the real understanding has to come in. Because that's how it touches you and I in the age of grace. And then it touches others as well. So in the regeneration, when he comes, he's going to give life. Now you're in Matthew, so get Luke 18 and we're going to go to Genesis 17. Because the issue of life, life, and kingdom is, and the issue of when you enter into the regeneration, that spiritual connection that gives you everlasting life. So what we're talking about resurrecting, resurrected life. That's what we're talking about, resurrection. And what happens is, <laughs> I told you Luke 18, is people miss that an, an integral part of the Abrahamic covenant is the promise of everlasting life, resurrection life. In Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. And that's an everlasting issue. And I know what happens. I, 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 I hear the, I don't listen to people too much anymore because it just, I want to shoot the, I want to shoot the computer. But you can't redefine everlasting. You can't redefine forever. I know they do it, and they use a Greek to do it. As soon as you hear people start using Greek and Hebrew to redefine words, they have left the King James Bible. They're off over into other things. And actually, they're, it, it's, it's heretical. It's her, yeah, heretical, yeah. Luke 18. Make sure I said that word right. You know, Get them, Rick. Look at Luke 18. Now watch verse 28. Now this is where we were just now in Matthew 19, but look here. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake. So he's again, he's specifically talking about the little flock. Who, little flock, shall not receive manifold more in the present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Who? The believing remnant who have left everything to follow the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God's sake, what are they going to get? Manifold more now and in the world to come. Life everlasting. Where are they looking to get life everlasting? They're not looking now. They're looking future to the kingdom. This provision here, come back, your, your Genesis 17, is a fundamental component of the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, the Lord is going to formalize the pact with the promise that he made to Abraham 
in Genesis 15. He made a promise. Here now, he's going to pull pen and paper out, and they're going to write the contract. He's going to sprinkle it with blood, seal it with blood. He's going to do everything, and he's going to, he's make, he's pledging the thing in Hebrews were two immutable things, himself and his word. Here, he is pledging it. He's saying, Abraham, I made a promise to you, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and now I'm contractually making, put, putting my name and on, the, on the bottom line. 17.1. And when Abraham, Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. So he's going to formulate, he's going to put it down. Here it is. He changes his name, verse 5, verse 6. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee and their generations for and Sometimes it's going to end. It'll end when the church, the body of Christ, shows up. So we're going to, no, it's a what? It's an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What's he doing? There's a, there, Abraham, this thing's going to go on forever now the age of grace interrupts it we gap the gap we we and we've looked at that mark chapter one we interrupt it but it doesn't null and void it why it's his agreement it's his he's just not doing it he he's romans eleven twenty five. temporarily set it aside pick it up verse 20 11 26 we'll get it done now come back to chapter 15 of genesis and watch this the issue of a, if Abraham, if, if he's giving this to Abraham as an everlasting possession and his seed and everlasting, then the issue of resurrection has to be there. Genesis, 7, or Genesis 15, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, No, of a surety. By the way, Abraham, he, he's going to get told here he's going to die. Hebrews 11 says he died not having received the promise, but by faith, what, seeing it afar off, stayed the course. Again, the issue with God and the spiritual component is that issue of faith in the word of God to the hearer. So hear it, you believe it, you act on it, then you're good to go. 13, 15, 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them. How many years? Well, 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great abundance. So they're going to go be afflicted. They're going to they're be down there. It, it ends up being Egypt, okay, for 400 years. Verse 15. And thou, that's Abraham, Abraham, shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. What does Abraham know? Oh, we're going to fulfill this out. I've got to be resurrected because I'm going to die. And guess what? In 400 years the thing's still going on. 
The nation is, the seed line is still going on. He goes over in Genesis 22, you remember, takes Isaac up. He looks at the guys. He said, the lad and I are going to go, and we're going to come back. What does he know? He knows Isaac's the seed, and he knows that he's going to take him up there and offer his only begotten son. And what's going to happen? He's got to resurrect him because he's the seed. He's the promise. And that's the issue in Hebrews 11. By faith, what does he do? He goes up and offers Isaac. So the so entering into resurrect entering into life in Israel's program has to do with the issue entering into the kingdom. I'll say it like that. Has to do with the fact that the kingdom is where eter- everlasting resurrecting life for Israel is. It's where they're going to get their resurrection life, and it's where they're going to get their things. Okay? Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. Entering into life, entering into life, entering into the kingdom. And again, that's where the real life is. That's what the Lord is after. He's telling them, look, it's better to be beat up and half a man to go into everlasting, eternal, resurrected life, the kingdom, than it is to go whole and to get cast into and hell. Now look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, all of chapter 28, the blessings and the cursing. We're at the fifth course of judgment here. That's what Moses is warning about. By the way, there's no ifs in any of this. It's happening, okay? I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee. They're scattered out amongst the nations. And shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day. Thou and thy children with, notice, all thy what? Heart and with thy soul. Again, it's their heart. It's that obedience, the issue of believing, the heart, the soul, the issue of faith. That's why John the Baptist says, repent. we got to get that heart right. Your heart's not right. Verse 3, Then uh, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity. Here's Job 42. And have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. Where are we talking about there? Future second coming. Okay. He One day, what's he going to do? Once you return to me, once you do what Leviticus 26 says there, and, and you turn to me and you repent, and you're, then I'll return and gather you up. Verse 4, if any of thine be driven out under the utter, outer, outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers.
forefathers. They're, by the way, they're, that's the Palestinian covenant. He's going to do it. They're worried that they're not going to get it because they're what? They've turned. They're in captivity. They're scattered. But he says, no, when you get your heart right, when you repent, when you get there, then I'll come up here and I'll take care of it. That's why in Acts 7, Stephen calls them, they're uncircumcised of heart and ears. That's where it is. They need to get spiritually fixed. Verse 6, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest what? Live everlasting life. There's the new covenant. But when is this? In the second coming, when he comes back. We've looked at the second coming. One of the components in his second coming is the establishment of the new covenant. Verse 7, And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecute thee, and thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every good work of thine hand and the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy cattle. All the things are going to come right back to him. But what's he going to do? But first, they got to get right. Then he's going to return, and when he returns, he's going to establish the new covenant, and he's going to establish that kingdom, the literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom. But in order to go into the kingdom, they have to do what? They have to repent, the heart and the soul. they got to have the issue of belief. And in Acts 7, they don't. So what time is it? Time to pour out the wrath. Okay? In Acts 7, they're actually op being, they're opposite of who they were supposed to be in order to get the kingdom, in order to enter into the kingdom, but they weren't there. They're uncircumcised and hearts near. They're cast out. Now, drop down to verse 11. Uh, actually, verse 14. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Life and good. See the two things, death and evil? <laughs> he set it before them. They have a choice. That's why I said that issue of volitionary. They got a choice here. If you believe it, what are you going to get? You're going to get ever, everlasting life. And you're going to get all your things given back to you. But if you don't believe it, what are you going to get? Death and evil. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that, thou, that both thou and thy seed may, what? Live. Again. Choose the right, choose, choose correctly. And what did they do in Mark 9? Nope, walking away. So the reason in Mark 9, by the okay, go to Acts 1, but in Mark 9, the reason that the Lord identifies the life and the kingdom of God together 
is because that is exactly what Israel gets in the kingdom. They get life. They get regeneration. They get that circumcision of the heart. They get the new covenant in that kingdom. So again, Acts 1, the idea of, well, you know, it's just in the hearts of men and the rule of God. Blah, blah, blah. No. You've got to have the two aspects. The kingdom, it lasts forever, by the way. Millennial kingdom, we hear, you hear people, millennial, the thousand years isn't the kingdom. The thousand years is the intro, intro to the kingdom and to the reign and the rule of the Messiah, the king, but it goes on forever. And again, these two aspects, th this is really where people misunderstand that issue of, of Israel's salvation and Israel's program, okay? Because there is a physical salvation from their enemies and from the tribulation, but there's also a spiritual need. You've got the two components. So what happens is, is you get to talking to people or you hear guys, and they start talking about justification unto eternal life, which is a Romans 3, 4, and 5 terminology, and they jump it over here onto Israel, and it doesn't fit, and then they don't know how to do the dance around with their, and that's because Abraham believed God, and it was counted for what? Righteousness. Okay? But do you know that Lot, he's called just Lot, justified Lot. Now, Lot was a scoundrel. He lived a horrible life. But what did he do? He believed God, the word of God to him, and he was just Lot. He, he had, his faith got him in. So in Israel, there's a physical salvation that comes because you have the spiritual salvation. That's why that word salvation, it just means to be rescued from harm. I mean, or, or catastrophe. There's a whole list of the bad things that can happen. Well, in Israel, you've got the two components. Acts 1. Now, when you get to Acts, so what have we been? We're in Mark 9. The Lord's with them. He's teaching them. He's training them. They're a little slow on the uptake, okay? But in Acts 1, Acts 1, verse uh, 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, now watch, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he had a forty-day Bible class with them, but what was the subject matter? The things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now hold on here and go back to the end of Luke, Luke 24, because this is where Acts, Luke writes Luke and Acts, and Acts is Luke volume 2, if you will, Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, this is after the resurrection. He said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. 
the question gets, well, did that really happen? Well, yes, it did. The verse says it did. That's why, by the way, later in Acts 1, now go back there to Acts 1. That's why later in Acts 1, he, Paul, or Peter starts quoting things out of Psalms. Now, when you go read about Judas as a bishopric and all that, you go read that Psalms he's quoting, and you go, how in the world did he get Judas out of that? Well, because the Lord opened his understanding, and he understood. But see, the thing is, is, is in Acts, the apostles, they understand what's happening. They don't misunderstand anything anymore. They, verse 3, they spent 40 days with him, and he was opening their understanding, opening the scriptures, and they understood, they got it. They are not wasting time anymore. They understand what the kingdom is all about. They understand the spiritual and the physical elements. They've got it. And now they're going to run with it. So you read verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So they asked the question. But no, and people, oh, well, they didn't get it. No, they do get it because you got to look at the question carefully. Will you, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom? See, they understand to restore again is to, say, to take something that used to be there and put it back. They understand. The only kind of kingdom that they ever understood that they had at one time under David and Solomon was a literal, physical, visible, Davidic kingdom. The question is, is it time? See, it's a timing question. And it isn't a timing question that they don't understand because they understand that it's coming in the future. It's not there. It's not in the midst of them. It's not, they're not, they're waiting for it. They understand that the timing of it is future, and they understand that the nature of it is a literal, physical, visible, earthly. It's sitting over there, centered in Jerusalem, and it's Jerusalem, the city of the great king, and there it is. This question isn't a question of stupidity. Or a question of they don't get it. It's a question of, hey, we we got we got it. We know back there we had it, and we're gonna get it again. Is it time? When's the timing? Well, and that's why he said it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own. There's a timing, they're gonna get there. Now come over to chapter three. By chapter three, they've got it. Because watch what, he, what Peter says in chapter 3, 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Again, what did Leviticus 26 tell them that they have to do to get out from underneath the judgments? You got to repent. Well, when they repent, what's going to happen? That your sins may be blotted out. When do they get their sins blotted out? When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Every word is so, man, it just frustrates me to Dickens when people just skip through. They, they by faith, 
okay? And the word of God to them know that their sins are blotted out when the times of refreshing come from the what? Presence of the Lord. Well, what is that? Verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, the one on exile, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things. You see, they, they've got the timing issue down now. In 1-6, they asked a question. By 1-6 to 3-9, he's educated them before he left, evidently. The timing issue. Because what do they know? It's future. We got this to do, then this to do, and then that to do. He's on exile, and when he comes back, he's going to restore all things. Now, verse 21, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. What have the prophets said was coming? That there's going to be... He said, they didn't say it's going to be a moral, righteous, spiritual rule of God in the hearts of men. They never said that a day in their life. But rather, what they say? Daniel 2, 44 and 45, the goal of prophecy. By the way, this is where we're going to pick up next week because it's time to quit, okay? They said what? Hey, the kingdom of God is going to come down here, and he's going to wipe out the Gentiles, and he's going to establish a literal, physical, visible kingdom that Christ is going to set up, and as a result, he's going to then institute the nation of Israel to be his agent to then go out and rule and reign over the Gentiles. Now, time's up, but that's where we're at. So the kingdom of God, get the two aspects, spiritual, physical, those have to be there. The nation, Mark 9, Luke 17, Romans 14, they use those verses and twist them all to say all of the stuff and don't just ignore them. Just believe what the Bible says. What does it say, verse 21? What the prophet's been talking about. One day out there in the future, in prophecy, God has promised a literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom a, a literal, physical, visible, earthly reconciliation of the planet back under the headship of his son through a kingdom that's going to utilize the true Israel of God, the believing remnant, who spiritually believe and trust and obey his word, who then physically go into that kingdom and reap the physical benefits. It's all real. It's real life. It's real death. And that's, that's what it is. That's why in Mark 9 he says, life, life, kingdom of God. And if you don't catch this, and again, we'll pick up, Dan, we'll pick up here, talk about the prophets next time because it is time to quit. Okay? That's why this stuff is so critical. It's so important. Because it's here, and it's like, okay, boom. And then dumb thump Gentiles come along in the dispensation of grace and say, oh, it can't be there. It's got to be there. Because they fail to study it dispensationally. And dispensationalism becomes a bad word in their mouth, so we got to get rid of it. we got to stop it. We can't have it. And yet, in reality, it's the only way to understand your, because if you don't, 
you'll think you're in the kingdom right now. And by the way, you have to think that if you put it on the timeline out and you don't rightly divide it, you don't put everybody where they belong because timing-wise, you're in trouble, therefore you get the preterist view. And now we're, you're an amillennialist. That's why they'll say Revelation uh, six or 4 over there and 4 or 5 and all that is the rapture, and they get it all messed up. And Anyway, we got to quit or I'll keep going, okay? Just under, get these two, spiritual and physical. They both have to be there. That's why, again, Keith Blade said it years ago. He's with the Lord now, and it's Israel's salvation package. And it's a great, because that's a package. You can't get one without the other. You got to have this first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then you'll get these. Okay? All right, let's go home before it starts storming out, because I hear thunder. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions that we have in it, for the excitement we can have to see and understand what you're doing in the teaching of the little flock in the moment and yet also understand the future glory that's yours. In your name we pray, amen.